How's everyone doing today? Yeah? It's a lot more people than last time. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I feel like I got a word from the Lord today, um, and I was praying about it, and pretty much uh, the word I got, I felt was like really big. Um, but then I didn't know how to process it. And so if I'm all over the place today, please bear with me. <laughs> um, and as I was praying, uh, God was continually giving me the word story. And so today we're going to talk about stories and the power of a story. Um, and so even like the power of a story, basically, like if you think about it, before there was like books, before there was printing presses, before there was like you know, internet, how do we communicate, right? So the only way that we could pass on a tradition was through an oral tradition, right? And so you hear about, like, even in the, in the Jewish, like, Jewish um, culture, basically everything was passed down through oral tradition, right? And so if you had kind of a story, the story of Moses was basically tra- passed down generation through generation by storytelling, right? Um, I grew up in Canada where there's, like, a lot of, Native Indians, right? And so they have a lot of oral tradition as well. They have a lot of, like, stories about, like, different gods and, like, the moon god and the water god and the, the wolf god or something like that, right? And so there's a lot of um, power to this oral tradition. And uh, basically, oral tradition refers to transmission of cultural material through vocal utterance and was long held as a key descriptor for, of folklore. That's the, I guess, the official definition of it. Um, but yeah, so there's something about a story, right, that invokes something in you, right? When you hear a story, it draws you in, right? It brings you in, and it just kind of creates a, a larger picture, and it helps you kind of become engaged with the speaker, right? So even, like, as pastors come up here, a lot of the times, they'll tell you stories, right? They'll tell you a story about uh, their testimony or an illustration to help, you know, tell their point. Um, stories convey an idea, that can be easily like related to or understood, right? Um, that's why even like fairy tales, all, there's always like a moral in the story. You don't just say the moral, right, and then leave it at that. Because if you just say the the point, it's like it it just sits there in your head and it's like okay, right, um, and then it kind of just disappears. But if you tell a story, it takes you on this journey, right? And there's something that just kind of like you identify with as you hear that story, right? Um, the story itself, it allows you to become a part of something like outside yourself, essentially. All right. Um, so there's actually scientific like backing for this. Um, and so when the brain looks at a presentation, so if I had a presentation up here and, uh, and basically I just had like bullet points, right? So a lot of you guys are like, you know, in sitting in lectures and a lot of professors will do this. They'll just put bullet points up on the, and notes up on the screen. And so, Basically, what happens when you look at just bullet points, and I just read off bullet points, your brain is um, processing what's written there, but through a language processing. So it just takes the language, processes it in the brain, and then it just leaves it at that, right? But when the brain hears a story, what happens is it, it doesn't just take the language processing part, but it'll actually start hitting the sensory cortex, right? And so that begins to get activated as well, basically all the sensory things, right? And so we begin to pretty much experience the story, 
right? If you're a good storyteller, you'll begin to experience the story that's being told, right? And so there's a difference between saying, like, I have a loaf of bread, right? Compared to, like, if you begin to tell a story about the bread and activate the sensory cortex of your brain, right? And so if I say, I have, you know, a freshly baked bread that's crispy on the outside and fluffy on the inside, right? All of a sudden, it's starting to, like, draw a picture for you, right? And then if I start describing the smell, if I use, like, similes, metaphors, right? The smell smells like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, you know, whatever. Something great, okay? But, um, so... <laughs> So a good storyteller can invoke, like, taste, smells, like, experience. So it, it draws out um, the experience of what you're trying to convey, right? Um, so, for example, I'm going to tell you guys a story. But I'm going to give you guys the bullet points first, okay? And so, first, not everyone who puts you in crap is your enemy, Right? Okay. Not everyone who gets you out of crap is your enemy, or is your friend. <laughs> and, when you, and when you're in crap, don't sing about it. Make, don't sing about it. Don't be happy about it, essentially. Okay? You guys get it? Okay, so those are the three bullet points that would be up on my presentation. Okay? But I'm going to tell you these three bullet points in a story. I'm going to illustrate them in a story. Okay? So, there was a small bird that was flying south for the winter, and it was cold. So as it was flying, it kind of froze and fell down uh, onto the ground near a sidewalk. And a guy was walking by, right? And he wanted to help the bird, but he was already kind of like running late for uh, work, right? So as he's like trying to help this bird, he sees like a steaming pile of like dog droppings, right? And so he picks up the bird, and he places the bird inside the droppings, Right? And then he goes off to work. And so a little, as the bird's inside the, you know, steaming pile <laughs> of droppings, right, the bird starts to warm up, right? And as he gets happy, right, he starts singing. The bird starts singing because he's getting warmed up and thawing out. Along comes a cat, and he hears the bird singing, right? And he is curious, so he goes to, like, check out, like, what's making the sound, and he sees this bird sitting in crap singing, right? And so immediately he just pounces on the bird, eats the bird, right? So again, three points. Not everyone who puts you in crap is your enemy, right? Number two, not everyone that takes you out is your friend. And number three, if you're in crap, don't sing about it, right? <laughs> okay, so you can use a story to illustrate your points much better, right? Now you guys will probably remember my three points better through that story, right? <laughs> Um, and even when we look at, like, Jesus, right? Jesus loved to tell stories. Everything that he basically, if he preached, if he answered a question, even if he was rebuking somebody, he always spoke in stories. Like, we, you know, the Bible calls them parables, right? Uh, there's so many examples of this. Um, you know, he, somebody asks him, like, who is your neighbor, right? And then he'll tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right? It's a very long-winded answer to a very simple question, right? Jesus could have just said, everybody. Everybody is your neighbor. But he illustrates the point through a parable, through a story, right? 
Um, so rather than giving just like, you know, a, an explicit answer, he'll always try to illustrate it through a story, right? So whenever Jesus asks a question, he's kind of like, you know, tell, he'll tell a story and be like, so this, here's the answer, what do you think it is? Thing. So he never really kind of like answers answers the question, but he like lets you think about it and come up with your own answer, right? And so uh, there's there's something to this story, right? And that there's so much that's conveyed through a story, right? And we all have our own stories, right? And you know you've you've heard like Rona come up here testify, you've heard Michelle come up here, you've heard Sam, you've heard all the staff, you've even heard some of the stutters come up here and share their testimonies, right? Testimony is powerful. There's something about a story that we can all connect with and that we all kind of relate to, right? And so um, today, what I want to focus on, though, is um, this idea of God's story, okay? And so, John, let's turn to John, John 1, 1 to 3. Everybody there? <clears throat> okay, so I'm sure it's a passage that like a lot of us have heard, but uh, let's read it aloud all together. Uh, ready? Whatever translation you have, I think some of you guys have ESV, NIV. I think it's pretty much the same anyway, but let's read it all together. Ready? One, two, three. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things sent him. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so essentially the Bible says that, you know, God was always there, right? So in the beginning was the Word, which is basically God. Um, and the Word was with God, and He was the Word, right? Um, so God was the beginning point, right? And so if you think about it from that perspective, like everything that's happened in this world is basically part of his story, right? Um, he's the one basically that's creating this larger narrative in our lives, right? And so he, but when we look at the world, what does the world say, right? The world says, no, that's kind of foolishness. That's, that's, that's religion, right? To say that everything that you do, everything that happens, everything that um, you know, goes on in this world is related to God somehow, right? And so, you know, even New Philadelphia Church, like, we have a joint prayer meeting, right? And where we pray for North Korea, we pray for Korea, we pray for, like, suicide rates to go down. And a lot of the times, like, you know, I'll, even myself, like, I'll go into these prayer meetings and I'll be like, I think that's just kind of like people making dumb choices, right? Or that's just kind of like these worldly factors that are causing these things to happen, right? And so people will be like, oh, uh, God's heart is to do this for North Korea or something like that. And I'm like, does God really tie into that or is that really just a, a man thing, right? And a lot of times we think this, right? Because we fail to see that there's a larger narrative where everything in this world is basically part of his story, right? And hence, where we come with the word history, Right, if you actually separate it, like his story. And so, um, <laughs> so 
So when we talk about his story, we're talking about God's story, right? We're not just talking about, like, history in general as something that we look at through textbooks, right? Those are things that are recorded that are a part of God's story, his larger story, right? And so everything is his story, okay? Um, And so... Like I said, everybody has their kind of testimony, right? And I think a lot of times where we get lost and we fail to see and lose perspective of this um, larger story, like a larger narrative that's going on is because we get our testimony, right? And we fail to see that our testimony is a larger part of basically what God is doing in like this larger narrative, in his story, right? And so, you know, I... I can come up here, I'll share my testimony, and I'll be like, this is what God is doing in my life, right? And so the basic premise of a lot of times when, like, I'll share my testimony, I'll get it backwards, right? I'll begin to think, like, I allowed God into my life, right? And so he has become a part of my story, right? But it's that, there's a fundamental, uh, I guess, it's kind of skewed. That's, it's not right, right? And so if we take a look at it from his story, right, and it's, everything is a larger narrative for him, then my testimony is a part of his story, right? And so as I share my testimony, right, you have to understand that, um, yeah, the, the power of my testimony basically comes from what God is doing in my life, right? How my life is a part of his greater, larger story and lar- larger narrative, Right? And so a lot of the times, you know, it's a story that defines us, right? And so that's why a lot of times people will come up here and they'll share their testimony. Um, but don't get me wrong, like, a testimony is very powerful in whatever God's doing in your life, right? But that's the reason why we have people come up here is so that, you know, so that people can just share their testimony and people get set free. It also establishes, like, kind of uh, a precedent for what God is already doing, Right? And so if, like, Julian comes up here and he says, God healed my back, right? That's already setting kind of, like, faith out, right, for God's larger story of what he's already doing in this place, right? And so people hear that and they're like, oh, I want that for my story, right? And so they'll claim it and we just move on from there and God can do his thing, right? Uh, but essentially you need to remember that there's this larger narrative going on and we, that's why we say his story, right? And so that you are part of his story, um, so a lot of the times, what it's about is perspective, right? Like I said, if you're giving your testimony, it's so easy for you to think like, hey, God's been, I've allowed God into my life, into my story, right? And that he basically, I'm, it's almost like without explicitly saying it, I've done him a favor by allowing him into my life, allowing him into my story, writing him into chapters of my life, Right? But it's the other way around, right? And so I'm just going to give you a quick example of like the importance of perspective. And so, Kyojin, if you could just throw up a slide. That's okay. Okay. So let's read this passage here. Uh, the passage says, actually, you guys want to read it all out with me? Ready? One, two, three. Does anybody agree with that? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah. um, so, 
It sounds pretty negative, right? And nobody here agrees with that, right? But here's the thing. We're going to change the perspective, and we're going to read it backwards, okay? So the first line, I have my priorities straight. So you need to know that if you submit your life to God, you can be in God's kingdom, and it's a lie that you're going to hell. <laughs> All right? <laughs> so when we flip that perspective, right, you read it one way, and it's negative, right? But if we flip our perspective on it, it changes, right? And so per- perspective, con- like, like context, is so important, right? Especially when it comes to your own story, your own testimony, right? I mean, there's, there's tons of other examples as well. Like, um, you know, if I ask you, like, what's one plus one? Two, right? But if I change it, and I change the context of it, I say one water drop plus one water drop. Is it two water drops? <laughs> All right. And so, <laughs> yeah, you get one big water drop. So one plus one is one in that sense, right? So it really depends on the context of what we're talking about, right? And so basically when you test, testify, when you share a story about like what God's doing in your life, your story is almost meaningless unless you put it into context, Right, and so when you look at like what God has done in your life, or like you come back from a retreat or something, and you know you 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 think like, okay, God didn't do anything at that retreat, or the opposite, like God just blew me away. But it was like, what were you looking for? Right, you begin to under understand the context of the story of your life when you begin to understand the context of the storyteller. Right, and so as you begin to understand this larger narrative and this you know, this, this idea of his story and you becoming a part of his story, it puts your story into context, right? And you begin to understand. It's not there anymore. <laughs> you begin to understand. No, that's good. And you, and you put it into the right perspective, right? And so, um, another thing that I want us to understand, though, is that, you know, when we talk about God, right, we often think like just stories in the Bible, right? That God is just, you know, a uh, story of Moses or in the beginning there was the word Genesis all the way to Revelations. But, you know, God is not confined to the Bible, right? We have to understand this as well, right? Again, it's his story. Right? It's larger than just whatever is written in here, right? This points to God, and it's a revelation of His Word, and it's Spirit-breathed, and, you know, we believe that it's infallible, but it's, God's story goes beyond this, right? Everything that's written in history is God's story, right? And so things that aren't even written in the Bible, that's God's, right? We hear about, like, you know, historical things, World War One, World War Two, you know, <laughs> Whatever it might be, right? Whatever you can think of, those are all part of God's story, right? It goes beyond just the Bible. It's not just a religion thing, right? So we need to kind of break out of that kind of mindset that a story, God's story is only whatever story is in the Bible. And because my name's not in there, I'm not part of that story, right? And so we need to break out of that mindset as well, right? Because, again, if you do, you're going to get into the wrong context, right? Um, a lot of times as well, if you begin to get into that mindset of a wrong context, you're going to place yourself in a place of complacency, right? You get, it's easy to think like, okay, this is my story and God hasn't been showing up or, 
okay, this is kind of like the wall that I've hit with God and his story, and my story, right? I've allowed God in. I got breakthrough. It was great. It was wonderful. But, okay, now I hit this wall, and so that ends this chapter of my life kind of thing. Or like, okay, I've seen it all, or he's written this much for my life, right? But we have to understand God is not confined to your story, right? And so it, you can't get disgruntled. Like a lot of the times, I mean, this happened to me as well. I'll go to a retreat expecting so much stuff, right? And then I go, nothing happens, and then I leave. I'm like, shoot, like, okay, well, I guess, you know, God doesn't really have anything for me anymore. Or I just get disgruntled or I get, like, you know, pissed off. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, I thought, God, you were going to do so many crazy things, but that's, that's it. But when you look at it from a larger perspective, you look at it from, a, you know, his story perspective, it's that it's not that God, you know, just didn't do anything for you, but you look at, like, everybody else that happened. Or, like, you know, uh, our past, we just had a leadership retreat for uh, New Philadelphia Church. And, you know, Pastor J.M. was talking about how the Spirit came and rested, right, on the disciples uh, when, when they were praying in the upper room. Um, and a lot of times for me, what I thought was, like, when the Spirit comes, you got to bug out, right? And you see people, like, start crying, like, falling down, like, shaking, and, like, doing all sorts of weird things. Some people sound like dogs and screaming, and I was like, what is going on? Like, Rona, you know, laughing, and sounds like a dolphin. <laughs> so, my, like, my box that I basically put around God was that, hey, when you get hit with the Holy Spirit, this is what it's got to look like, right? Tongues are going to break up, like manifestations of the Holy Spirit is going to break up. But, you know, him just sharing that, like in the Word, when the, the fire fell on the apostles the first time, it rested on them, right? And so I was like, oh, what? like, for me, it would have been so easy to go up to the altar, receive like a fire prayer, right? Fire of the Holy Spirit, and then not manifest, Right, because if you guys don't really know, like I just I'm kind of the statue, right, when I go up there, and so I'll be receiving prayer, and like everybody goes down, and then I kind of like open one eye. I'm like, should I be, you know, like, <laughs> like uh, shake or something? So, you know, I'm just like, I feel like I should be doing something. Like, okay, I need to like strive and like get something working for the Holy Spirit, right? And so. Uh, when I didn't get that, I was like, what the heck's wrong with me? Like, how come the Holy Spirit doesn't want to, like, you know, you know, set me on fire? But then it's, it, it's not really about that. It's more about, I could have just completely missed that, hey, God's fire came, but it just rested, right? And so just because I didn't get the manifestations doesn't mean that I didn't get the fire, right? And so, again, it's a larger story, right? If I just looked at my story, hey, I didn't, get any, I didn't receive anything. I didn't manifest. I didn't, you know, in my perspective, I didn't see anything, right? But in God's story, it's, hey, you were at the altar. I saw you, and I blessed you. I put fire on you, and whether you walked that out or not, that's up to you, right? And so, um, again, it, you have to understand that there's this larger context about his story, that it's his story and not your story, right? And God invites us to become a part of his story, right? Um, let's open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3.
All right. <clears throat> and so you guys all know that, like, I'm a lot older than you guys, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so you didn't know? I, I'm not a student, <laughs> in case you guys are wondering. But, um, yeah, actually, somebody thought I was 26 last semester. Oh, thank you, Albert. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I, I haven't changed so from Anyway, that's aside from the fact. But, um, okay, so, like, when I was in high school, I was at this conference, and uh, basically, Louis Giglio was a speaker, right? And he said... He, he said this that just basically blew my mind and, and like revolutionized my way of thinking of, of Jesus and God. So I'm going to try and share it with you and hopefully do it some justice. But in Exodus chapter 3, um, this is where uh, Moses first encounters God. Right? And so a little bit of the backstory is that Moses uh, saw uh, one of his Hebrew slaves basically getting beaten by one of the Egyptians. Right, And so he has compassion for the guy, he goes up and kills the slave driver person, right? Um, it's funny, because if you read the text, he actually, like, it says he, like, looks both ways to, like, make sure nobody's watching, right? And so he's kind of, like, doing this, and then he goes, and then he kills him, right? And then he thinks everything's all good, but then later he sees, like, two, two like, Hebrew slaves, like, arguing with each other and fighting, and then he kind of steps in and is like, hey, like, why are you guys fighting? You guys are brothers. You guys should be, like, helping each other out. And he is like, whoa, what are you going to do? you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian guy? Right? And then he was like, oh, shoot. Moses is like, I got, you know, I got seen. Somebody saw me. Right? So he feared for his life, and then he ran away. Right? Long story short. Um, and then he's, like, chilling beside this well, like, out in the wilderness somewhere. And then these, these girls come. I think it was, like, 12 girls, I believe group of 12 girls come to the well to, like, draw water, and then these Midianites come, and they start harassing them, right? And so Moses sees it, and he gets up, and he's, like, saves them, I guess. And then the women are like, hey, you need to come with us to our house so we can introduce you to our father, right? And then, so he goes, and then um, his, the, the 12 girls like him, or not the 12 girls, 12 girls' dad, <laughs> father, <laughs> Likes him. <laughs> and he's like, hey, marry one of my daughters. Right? And so he's like, okay. He gets married. And then basically he becomes a shepherd. Right? And so he's like tending his flock and stuff. And then one day he's out. And then he sees like this burning bush. Right? And, he's, and this is where we start for Exodus 3. Right? 3, yeah, 1 to 6. Burning bush. Okay? And then... So he sees this bush, and then he's like, oh, that's interesting, right? And it's, it's, it's so hot that he actually has to turn away, right? But he, rather than, like, running away, because for me, if I saw a burning bush, I wouldn't be like, oh, hey, let me go check it out. I'd be like, oh, it's either on fire, it's probably not going to die out. But he notices that it's not dying out. I, I don't think I would get close to it. I think I'd be, like, freaked out. I'd be like, what the heck is going on, right? Let me go get some water. <laughs> Throw it on it. <laughs> Right, and so, but he's kind of like curious. He's like, "Oh, what's going on?" So he like turns away, but like tries to move closer or something. And then that's when the voice of God comes. Right, voice of God comes, and he's like, "Stop! Don't get any closer, and remove your shoes because this is holy ground." Right, and so he removes his shoes, 
And then he basically tells Moses all these things, like, I want you to go do this. I've seen my people, that they've been struggling. I've heard their cries. And he basically says a promise to Moses that I'm going to use you to set the captives free. Right? And then Moses, being kind of cowardly and stuff, he's like, he's trying to find all these excuses not to do it. Right? I don't know if he's lazy or if he was a coward. Because right? that's kind of like what I would do, is like trying to figure out excuses. Like, oh, I, I, I don't speak so well, <laughs> right? Or like, no one's going to believe me if I, you know, if I go and tell these people this, this stuff. And so, um, yeah, he's trying to make up all these excuses. And he's like, okay, so if I go and tell all these, like, Hebrew elders or whatever, like, that I'm supposed to set them free, like, they're just going to laugh at me, right? Who do I say sent me, Right? And basically, I think this is the first time in the Bible where God says his name, right? He declares who he is, right? And so a lot of us that have grown up in church, we know God's name. He says, I am who I am. There we go, okay? And so um, growing up, I read this and I was like, I am. Well, that's pretty cool, right? (laughs) And so, but... Um, as I heard this sermon from Louis Giglio, he started to unpack it, right? And basically, he started saying, like, the, the name I am in the Hebrew is basically a B verb, right? And I was like, back then, I was like, I didn't know anything about grammar. So I was like, why does he, why does he keep saying beaver? It's like, what's a beaver have to do anything with? But he kept saying beaver. It's a B verb. I am is a B verb. And I was like, beaver? What? But anyway. So <laughs> And so I am is a beaver, which basically means uh, saying like that he has no uh, beginning, right? He just existed, that he's always been there, like to be. He just is, right? That he's always just existed, right? And so there's no connotation of future, and there's no connotation of like potential, right? It's just I am. It's like I've been here, right? And I never had really a beginning. I don't really have anything. I just am, right? I am to be, right? To be is present, right? And so there's no beginning, no end, right? And he's establishing who he is, right? The grandeur of his nature, like I am, right? Uh, That he's supreme, uh, that creation being both the definition of the ruler of nations um, and that he's a divine being, right? And so just through that one statement of saying I am, he's telling Moses all these things, right? But here's the thing that like really got me, is that more than like God saying who He is, He was basically telling Moses who He was, right? Just through that one statement, "I am," right? So if God is the "I am," right? He's the the be to be that He always was and always is. Then Moses, or Moses is, and everybody else is the "I am not." Okay, so you have God the "I am," and then you have Moses the "I am not." Right? So God is the great I am, therefore Moses is, I am not. Okay? But what you have to understand, though, is that um, although Moses is the I am not, right? God revealed us to himself. Wait, God revealed us to Moses and us, right? And so in that step, he's making us a part of history, right? His story, sorry. And so here's the thing that blew my mind was that Through that statement, I am, and knowing that I am not, right? Because God is the I am, and I am the I am not. Moses can say, I am not, but I know I am. Right? 
was like, what the? Let me say that again. I am not, but I know I am. Right? Right? And so in that statement, because he knows he is not, but he knows I am, he can do anything. Right? Because it's not about him anymore. It's not about his story. It's not about where he's been. It's not about the excuses that he had, but it's where God is leading him and what God can do through him. Right? It's not about him. It's, I am not. Right? If it was about him, then all those excuses would hold up. Right? But because he can say, I am not, but I know I am. I am in fellowship with God. God can use me to do great and mighty things. God has written me into his greater story. Right? And so a lot of times we write our own story, just like Moses tried to do. Right? He kills this Egyptian, runs away, marries his daughter, then marries this girl, and then is a shepherd. And then, you know, we try to do things our way, right? Moses wanted to worship his own way, right? He wanted to just live his life and die as a shepherd, right? And so a lot of times that we try and write our own stories is the way that we can just basically look at our worship, right? How do you write your own story, right? When you worship, what are you focusing on, right? Are you sitting here looking at, like, Bora and being like, oh, she's playing the wrong notes, or oh, she's off pitch, or looking at, you know, Tay and being like, oh, look at that finger picking, it's awesome. (laughs) Is your mind wandering? Um, A lot of times, even if you're, like, praying for somebody, like, you know, if, if somebody's asking for healing in something, right, and you're praying, right, a lot of times... I'll be praying and be, you know, not me, but, you know, you'll be praying and be like, God, heal this person, and then when they get healed, you're happy because you did it, right? Oh, because I laid hands on them, right? Oh, you know, I have so much power, and God's using me as his vessel, and, you know? Or you, you know, it's basically like, if it benefits you, right, in some way, you're writing your own story, right? Even when you share your testimony, right? It's like, hey, look at how God has been working in my life, right? If your testimony is pointing toward things that God is doing in your life, but it doesn't point back up to Him, then basically you're writing your own story, right? And you're just trying to take God and put Him into your story rather than writing your story and putting it into God's story. And so even like if you stand up here and preach, it's kind of just like, hey, look at all the great revelation I have, right? And if you just like share stories and narratives, but then you forget to like point back up to the gospel. Right? So there's a lot of times where you know you can actually just preach without saying the word the name Jesus, right? And, and so you're kind of missing the point, right? And so um, in First John four nineteen it says we love because He first loved us, and essentially that is the whole point of this. I am not, but I know I am, right? Is that it's not that we pursued God. And he came and met us. It was that God pursued us and has always been pursuing us, right? And so when we accept Christ, we're not letting him into our story. He's letting us into his story, right? Okay, so First John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. And so this is actually what I want to talk about the most here. Um, I can't remember where I was, but I was like, it was like in an Emmaus setting, and then we were like, I think it was like a fellowship thing, 
And then somebody was wearing our shirt. You guys all know our shirt? Yeah, Charles is wearing it right now, right? And so it says, what does it say? Made for more, right? And so the guy, the person was wearing the shirt, and then somebody asked him, like, oh, so what does that mean, right? And then they were like, oh, I don't know, it's Emmaus, <laughs> right? And I was, I was sitting there like, really? And so, and then it's like, you know, they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, it represents Emmaus, but what does that mean? Like, why are you wearing this shirt? Like, made for more, right? Why are you wearing that shirt, right? And they couldn't really come up with the idea, right? And so, basically what I want to point at here is that there's a larger narrative, there's a larger context, right? And I've been talking about this story, right? And that, you know, as we enter into God's story, Right? And we take our little story and we make it a part of God's greater story. His story. Everything that's even outside the Bible and inside the Bible. Right? We become a part of this. Right? Our lives are made for more. Right? Essentially. Okay? Because God's not going to write you into his story just so that you can fade away into the background. Right? He's not going to write you into his story to be kind of like the scenery. Or a tree, right? He has a purpose and a destiny, and the reason that you're coming into his story is because he has something greater for you, right? Turn to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. <clears throat> you guys all got it? So Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Right? So this doesn't sound like a God that's going to write you into a story where you just kind of sit there and you're a secondary character, right? where you're a tree or a rock in his story. Right? God specifically states that He has a plan for you, right? Plans to prosper you, right? not to harm you, to give you hope and a future, right? My hope isn't that I just sit around and do nothing, right? So as He writes me into His story, He takes me on a trip. He takes me on an adventure, right? The whole, you know, what I was talking about before. When we talk about a story, it illustrates something bigger, right? It's, it's not, God's not just trying to take your story and make it a bullet point. Right, that you just remember and then forget later on. Right, it goes deeper into an experience. It's an experiential thing where he's going to take you on adventure and just create more for your life than you could ever imagine. Right, and so when we talk about you are made for more, we realize that it's not about us. Right, but when we get an invitation to enter into his story, you know we take on this bigger narrative. Right? Our lives take on purpose, it takes on direction, because now it's a story in the ultimate story. Right? Everything that's been happening in your life becomes a part of this bigger story. Right? And so like, just like in Matthew 26, with the woman with the alabaster jar, you know, I, I think I led a prayer topic on it not too long ago. Right? Um, sh- this lady comes before Jesus, right? and all the disciples are just sitting there, chilling, after they finished eating, and she breaks this jar of perfume, expensive perfume, right? 
And then she begins to anoint Jesus' feet, like crying and anointing it with her hair, right? And the disciples are just basically like, man, what a waste. We could have just used that to, like, feed the poor, right? But then Jesus is like, no, 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 you guys got it wrong. You guys can feed the poor whenever you want. But what this woman has done is, you know, is truly, like, a work that's going to be remembered, Right? And so if you look at that passage, actually, in verse 13 there, it says, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Right? That simple act that she did, coming before Jesus and laying her, her story before Jesus, she entered into a larger narrative. Right? She entered into, you know, basically Jesus just says right here, she's going to be remembered. Like, wherever this gospel is preached, she's going to be remembered, right? And it's the same with your lives, right? As you testify, as you remember your testimony, Jesus is saying, man, look at what they did, right? Look at the steps they did, the steps of faith that they took, right, to enter into my story and not make it about their story anymore, right? Jesus says, I'll remember this. And wherever the ministry is preached, you know, people will remember this, right? If you try and write a story for your own life, most likely it'll just come and go, right? But as you join this greater narrative of God, your no, your life will take on greater meaning, greater purpose, right? And so, yeah, God has a plan for your life, and it's more than what we could ever conjure up for ourselves, right? Basically, the best picture that I could come up with is if you try and make a plan for your own life, your life will be like a fart in the wind, right? It'll be taken by the, you know, it's there one minute, and then the wind will take it away, right? So, hey, we're talking about stories, so that's my illustration, okay? But as you join this larger narrative, right, your life begins to take on meaning, right? Because now you're a part of his story, right? And so a lot of the times, like, we can sit here week after week, right? Uh, we hear all the wonderful things that God is doing in our lives and the destiny that he has. You know, Rona will come up here and she'll preach for an hour about how, you know, how God has a destiny for you and God has a plan for you and all these wonderful, great things. And we hear about the stories of how God is working in, like, Michelle's life and Sam's life, myself, you know, and some of the stutters. And, you know, we hear people testify, but a lot of times we can lose the perspective of the gospel and what this gospel is actually all about, right? So a lot of times in church, we're, we're taught to be content, right? We Growing up in church, I was kind of from a conservative background, and they always said, like, you just need to be content with what God gives you, right? Basically, it's you're unworthy compared to God, right? So who are you to ask God for anything? You should just be glad that you had salvation, right? And so, um, but God moves you from a place of being content. It's not about being unworthy with God, right? God calls you a son, right? And so when we enter into his, his story, this larger narrative, you know, we, be, 
we enter into this place where we can petition, right? Where we can begin to add to this larger narrative, right? Um, and it says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Again, the author, right? And so he writes our story, right? And so as we press in, you need to begin to ask yourself, what is faith then, right? So my perspective of faith a long time ago, I had this kind of struggle with what faith was. It was basically like, okay, so is faith me asking God consistently for something, right? Or is it just praying it one time and just believing that God's going to answer it? Right? Sounds right, right? So my faith is that I'm going to ask somebody something and just have faith that they're going to answer it, right? Um, and so I was kind of like conflicted. I was like, okay. So sometimes when I would pray, I'd be like, God, I know that you're a God that answers prayer, so I'm just going to pray this, leave it in your hands, and believe that you're going to do it, right? But then there's other times where I was like, oh, no, I've, you know, I think I need to just keep praying about it. And then after a while, I'll get sick of praying about it, and I'd be like, okay, I'll just leave it in your hands, and this is, this is faith, Right? But you have to understand, it's like, God wants to see how bad you want it. How bad you want something, right? And so there's this idea of, like, pressing in, right? And so, you know, I play a lot of sports. And so this kind of makes sense to me. Um, a team that knows that they're going to win, right? It's like a top-ranked team versus, like, the lowest-seeded team, right? So the top-ranked team thinks that they're going to win regardless, right? And so if they only practice once or train once, against this team, do you think that they're still going to win, right? If they only practice or don't even practice at all, you know, believing that they're going to get the prize, that's foolishness, right? And so there's this idea of pressing in. No matter, like, what the circumstance is, no matter in sports, like, no matter what team you play, you still practice the same, right? And you still have the same routine, and you still press in regardless of who you're playing, right? And it's the same in the kingdom, right? There's this idea of, like, contending for it, right? And Jesus talks about this persistent widow, right, where she approaches the king and just continually pesters him and pesters him and pesters him until she gets what she wants, right? And so that's basically what faith is, right? And so when we enter into this larger narrative, right, and when we get this perspective of what the gospel is all about, you know, Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith, it doesn't mean that we just let it all go kind of thing and say, like, okay, I trust that you're writing my story and it's done, right? But there's this aspect of faith where you need to press in, right? You've got to press in. Um, okay, so the last thing I want to look at is just Luke 24. Turn your Bibles. <clears throat> okay, so Luke 24, uh, verse 25 to 27. And so basically, this is what Emmaus is all about, the Emmaus Road. Right? And so that's where we get our name, if you guys didn't know. Um, so the Emmaus Road is a perfect example of where people lose the perspective of what the gospel is actually all about, right? So you have these two people walking down the road, and they're basically depressed and sad, right? And they miss 
they think that Jesus and the ministry of Jesus is basically done because they put so much hope into his ministry, right? And then what does he do? He's, they think that he's dead, you know, crucified, dead and buried, right? But what happens on the Emmaus Road? They encounter Jesus, right? Jesus opens up the scriptures to them, right? And it's like the greatest Bible study in history, essentially, because it's Jesus, right? Opening up every single scripture, and he goes from Moses... It says in Luke 24, he goes from Moses all the way to, what was it, the prophets, right? Explaining how every single thing, every single story, every single narrative, every single oral tradition that's been passed down in Jewish culture is all pointing to him, right? And so these two guys walking in the main road, their perspective changes, right? And all of a sudden, they're like, wow, we had the wrong story, <laughs> right? We thought... From our perspective, the story of Jesus was done, right? But the story of Jesus is part of a larger story. It's part of his story, right? And so as he opens up the scriptures and as he just shows them that, hey, every single narrative that's happening is not just confined to that time and place, but it's part of a larger picture, right? And so as you look at the Emmaus Road, this is what history is about. Right? It all points to Jesus. Basically, Jesus is the climax of his story. Right? Where we start off at the beginning, you know, in the Bible, Genesis. Right? We had a relationship with God. And then in, in that story, we fall away. There's separation. Right? And everything up to that point, God is writing a story for redemption of man. Right? And so when you look at the Old Testament all the way up to Jesus, it's all pointing to Jesus. Right? And so the, the story of the Bible points to Jesus. He's the climax, essentially. Right? And so, like I said before, we can hear all these great things. Right? We can hear about you know, people speaking into your life and saying, hey, you have a great destiny for this. You have a great destiny for that. Jeremiah 29.11, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. Right? But we lose perspective of what it's all about. Right? We walk on that road sometimes and we're depressed and we think, oh, Jesus left me, right? My testimony sucks right now, right? I hit such a low road that I went to this retreat, I got nothing, you know? Or I've been, like, ministering and, like, I've seen no fruit. I've been praying for healing and I've, got, I've seen absolutely no healing. I'm contending for this for my family and I see nothing in my family. What's going on, right? And we always just confine it to our small little story, but we fail to see that, you know, it's... It all points to Jesus, right? And when we lose that perspective, that's why we don't see any fruit, right? Because we begin to focus on the things of this world, right? When you begin to focus on the things of this world and the things that you see, you know, it doesn't give you any room for the Holy Spirit to come and move in your life, right? Yeah, so I just want to take a little bit of time to pray. Just landed here. I'm going to get below on the keys.